As we've heard in the gospel reading today, we have been brought into yet another debate. During this election season, you may be tired of debates, but please join me and tune in at least one more time to the debate that is laid out before us in the gospel text. In today's gospel, after seeing the Sadducees defeated by Jesus, the Pharisees now want to try their hand at testing Jesus and perhaps edifying themselves. So they send an expert in the law to test Jesus's knowledge about all of the laws and the commandments. As an expert in the law, he was, of course, well-read and had probably studied the laws and the text and the ancillary text and had many debates among his brethren about the texts, probably also debated the Sadducees who had just had their lunch served to them by Jesus. And now he was ready, or so he thought, for this great debate. This expert in the law and his fellow Pharisees had classified hundreds of laws and often tried to distinguish the more important from the less important. You know, like many of us do, when we try to lighten the blow of our own sin, which sin is the worst? We try to rank our sin to prove ourselves to be a little less sinful and a little more holy, only to realize that sin is sin and there is no such thing as a white lie or a mistruth or a small wink in a story for as my grandmother used to tell us when we were kids growing up, a lie is a lie is a lie. In this case, they probably hoped that Christ would name a commandment, any commandment. They would then accuse him of belittling the other commandments. So now in this text, the expert in the law with a very erudite and well-read tone and posture asks Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus responds with an answer that doesn't elevate a commandment about the Sabbath or about tithes or about circumcision or sacrifice. No, his answer that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself elevated the importance of relationship relationship with God and relationship with each other. It elevated relationship above a mere commandment dueling and ritual. This Shema or Jewish liturgical prayer was recited twice a day at the morning and the evening services for the Jewish people to express their ardent faith in and love of God. Jesus's response, which prioritizes relationship over the law and the rules and the religion and the rituals of the day was not what the Pharisees expected to hear. And truthfully, that is often the case with many churchgoers today. Many of us find comfort in the rules and the rituals and the laws and the regulations of our faith rather than digging into the heart and the soul of our call to love. Rituals and rules are not all bad, but they are a means to pointing our hearts, our souls, and our gaze to God, not an end in themselves. 
So today I ask for you to get out of the boat and tread on some uneasy water with me for just a moment to get into an uncomfortable conversation about relationship. If we can get our relationship with God and each other right, all other commandments can be met. All of the other commandments hang and depend upon our love of God and our love of each other. We can't replace these relationships by tithing our way out of them, by sacrificing our way out of them. As Paul even writes to the Corinthian church in his first letter to them, he says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He goes on to say, if I give away all my possessions, if I sacrifice it all, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Jesus is charged in our gospel text today to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and then to love our neighbors as ourselves creates a relationship cross. Our love of God being vertical and our love of our neighbor being horizontal. Both required to create the cross that we are to bear. Linking the two positions the first commandment as a prerequisite for the second. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our beings. We're to love God not only with our minds and our erudite selves, but also with our hearts, our loving self, and our souls, our beings. How do we do this? The Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord our God. Why? Because he first loved us. God gives us entree into this great love for on our worst day at our lowest moment while we were yet deep in sin god came sent himself through jesus the son to die but the text tells us that while we were yet sinners he died for us the breadth the length the height and the depth of god's love surpasses knowledge for God's love is so high that we can't get over it. It's so low that we can't get under it. It's so wide that we can't get around it. This love, in many instances, makes no sense because we've grown up in a conditional love environment. But this love that God has, if we could just grasp even a portion of it, whoo, how we might live differently. We must not allow circumstances to keep us from experience this experiencing this love of God and loving God back. Life, I know, can get so consuming, so full of to-dos and challenges, defeats and setbacks, and then add on to it pandemic. The strain of injustice makes life feel so overwhelming and just so plain hard that we sometimes become stuck and despondent and despair. We begin to normalize the abnormal. We get so fed up that we give up. We stop dreaming and hoping and become indifferent and apathetic. But this morning, I invite you to just tread on these uneasy waters and dare yourself to love and be open to love again. When we do so, we become alive like never before. You see, 
So many of us are going through the motions that we are acting alive, but not truly living. John describes this in Revelation chapter 3 when he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. This love of God and this loving of God wakes us up, activates all of our being, and allows us to encounter life again. Take us, Lord, to the place where we first encountered and fell in love with you. As David proclaims in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy, O God, of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When we love God, when we were God's love of us and we get caught in this web of love of between us and God, it compels us then to love our neighbor. This love of God that pursues us, reconciles us, reunites us with God again, also expands to reconcile and unite us with one another. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. When we truly love God, we then love through compulsion, through pushing, through reconciling our neighbors. When Jesus was asked in Luke's rendition of this encounter, what is a neighbor? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan and concluded that a neighbor is one who is in need and the Good Samaritan acted neighborly to his neighbor by showing mercy. So yes, your neighbor is not only the person who lives next door to you on your street, it is also the person whom you encounter on the sidewalk who is in need. It's also the person who lives on the other side of the tracks. Your neighbor is the person who may look nothing like you, different race, grew up in a different socioeconomic environment. Your neighbor celebrates Yom Kippur. Your neighbor celebrates Ramadan. Your neighbor may celebrate no religious ritual at all. So why is it so hard to love our neighbors? Why is it so hard to see another as a neighbor? Perhaps it is because so many of us have based our sense of self and identity on amplifying our differences rather on, than on finding the ways in which we are alike. Perhaps we spend so much time trying to find the differences that we spend little to no time trying to find how we can connect. A neighborly person, a neighborly community, a neighborly church brings to life the words written by the poet Emma Lazarus that are etched on our Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I believe that we are called to a neighboring movement where we love, empathize, extend compassion and mercy to our neighbors. For our forgiveness is tied up in this. Lord, forgive my sins as I forgive the sins of others. Our worship depends 
on our loving of our neighbor. For in Matthew, when one brought a sacrifice and a gift to the altar to give to the Lord, the Lord said, leave the sacrifice right there. Go first and reconcile with your brother and your sister. Only then, once you've done that, you can return unto me. We must learn to love those who are different than us, to neighbor across differences. As Barbara Brown Taylor writes in her book, Holy Envy, the only clear line I draw these days, she says, is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor because Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. In that statement, she breaks down all of these guards and walls that many of us have tried to erect as qualifiers for why we cannot fully love our neighbors. We must neighbor nonetheless and neighbor across differences. One of the most beautiful witnesses of how we do so is when Jesus encounters the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. They couldn't have been more different. He, a Jew and a male, she, a woman and a Samaritan, different walks of life, different experiences, even a different mission. It is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person in the New Testament. So there must be something in that story for us to glean. Jesus shows us how to neighbor across differences. In doing so, he found something in common between he and this woman. He used thirst, physical thirst, then connected to spiritual thirst. And out of that connection, this woman became alive and began to tell all about this man who told her all about herself. Because of her story, many others believed. This encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman pushes each of us to stretch to find how we are more alike than unalike. In the midst of the very divisive political and historical moment that we are currently in, perhaps as the church, as the enacting out of Jesus, our Savior's love in the earth, we can find a way to unite rather than to divide. Perhaps we can live out the words that even Dr. King says, that in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All of us are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of praise. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly, for I can never be all that I ought to be until you are all that you ought to be. And you can never be all that you ought to be until I am all that I ought to be. We must stop denying that injustices are happening to our neighbors and become more empathetic and willing to ally with and jump into the fight for justice on behalf of neighbors who look nothing like us. When we do this, we can declare that black lives do matter without denying the sanctity of life for all. When we do this, we can grieve with those who grieve and acknowledge that the lives we've lost in this COVID 
pandemic are more than just tallies of numbers that we see scrolling on the news feed each day. Neighboring and empathy looks like white men and white women standing up for black men and black women, for Latinx, for Asian communities. It looks like men standing up for women. It looks like all of us insisting on justice with humility, coupled with courage. This command to love our neighbors commands us to do justly, to enact justice in the world, such that like Tillich says, in his book, Love, Power, and Justice, that justice is the form in which and through which love performs its work. This act of loving our neighbor is truly, in essence, an act of communion. When we love God and realize God's love for us, we come face to face with our shortcomings and sin. Through God's love, we are reconciled and restored into right relationship with God and therefore with one another, such that we love and do this all in remembrance of God and God's love for us. This act of loving God and loving our neighbors is an acting out and an extension of the ritual and living communion as living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God. May you live to love, love God and love neighbor, and in doing so, may we all usher forth God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.